the scripture reading this morning will come out of Isaiah 52, verses 13 through 53, 12. Um, and that's on page 729 in your Black Pew Bible. Behold, my servant shall, shall act wisely, and shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of, a, of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle the nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they, shall, they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he is despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that, is, that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut, cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous, the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, and and makes intercession for the transgressors. Well, Merry Christmas to you. It's a little different morning. A lot of family gatherings, and we have children um, amongst us today, and uh, don't let that bother you at all if you're little one makes a little noise we we're glad you're here if you need to stand up in the back you can do that if they get real crazy and uh you need to step out we uh, the family life center is open too you can walk over there but just bear with us it won't it won't be long tom it's good to see you brother glad you're here yeah man it's great visiting with christmas and look forward to spending some time with you i uh i do want uh to get a picture um mark you and brent uh, afterwards, um, Mark, why didn't you bust that out at our Christmas small group Christmas shindig, man? Just waiting on Christmas Day, huh? That's awesome. I love it. Make sure we get a picture uh, before this over with. I, I, I know you've probably had a great morning um, doing the things that we do on Christmas, but I don't. It's, isn't it fitting that we're worshiping on Christmas morning? I, I spoke to Chris. And we we're going to talk about this, and her leadership was like, "Why don't we not do this on Christmas every year?" We fit 
fit it in this year. It's like, why couldn't we not do it, make a tradition where our kids are like, well, what do you do on Christmas? We go to church. That's awesome. You know, it's good to see seeing some faces we hadn't seen in a little while. People have been out, and uh, it's just good to see you. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 52. Um, Reese read the teaching text for us. We've been studying Old Testament text in our Advent series is Christmas Foretold, and we've been seeing the text in the Old Testament that have been foretelling about Christmas. And some of these texts, they're written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, were written a thousand years. This one's 700 years before Christ. And in fact, this text is quoted or alluded to in the New Testament more frequently than any other Old Testament chapter, over 40 times in the New Testament. And this passage, the Jewish rabbis really can't explain it. They, originally, they understood this to be messianic. It was talking about the Messiah, but finally they began interpreting it as a description of the suffering of the nation of Israel as a whole instead of the Messiah. But it just doesn't fit, just doesn't fit with the text. It only makes sense when you study um, this suffering servant passage and think of Christ. And there, there are dozens of specific predictions here in the text regarding the Savior. And so as we read through and we study through, and I'm, I'm pointing out um, uh, these predictions, I, what I want you to do is be thinking about New Testament passages that come to your mind. I think it's very, very clear that this is referring to Christ. Uh, so we're going to look at them rather quickly, and, uh, and then um, I'll make a few comments on some of these. But I want you to understand the context. As we, anytime we get into a text of Scripture, we need to, our default mode should be, okay, what's the context here? Okay, Isaiah, he's a, a southern kingdom prophet, and he's writing to the, the southern kingdom. And it, it kind of piggybacking off our, our last week's text. Isaiah, he assumes the readers know the three previous servant songs. We introduced those in chapter 42. And the servant has a divine mission to accomplish. We looked at that in chapter 42 of Isaiah. But he's going to build this kingdom, this worldwide kingdom that's going to include Jew and Gentiles. But this is going to occur through suffering. And you see that in the second and third servant passage in chapter 49 of Isaiah and chapter 50. But Isaiah has reserved telling us the reason for this suffering until now in, in Isaiah 53. Look at verse 13 of chapter 52. He says, Behold my servant. Again, we don't use that word very often, behold. Hey, hey, look at that. It's kind of more of a colloquial term, uh, phrase that we would use. Hey, look at that. Hey, check that out. Hey, look at this, right? Look at this servant who's going to act wisely. And because of that, he's going to be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Now, automatically, what are you thinking? John, you're thinking of a text. When you say, he's going to be exalted, he's going to be lifted up. What do you think of? Anybody? Think about Philippians 2. When Christ, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has done what? He's highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And how did Christ act wisely? Well, he obeyed the Father. He accomplished the Father's will. 
Even as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's, he's, he's weeping and he's agonizing over being separated from the Father and receiving the wrath for, for sinners. He says, not my will, but yours be done. Look at verse 14. It says, the servant's appearance was marred beyond human semblance. That means he, he was disfigured. He didn't resemble a person. And, and what I, I automatically thought of chapel was the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ, I don't know if you've seen that or not, but it's pretty intense portrayal of the, the scourging and the crucifixion. I remember Jenny and I, we took a, a couple friends of ours that we were, they were not believers, and we took them to that movie. And we had, had a good time. We had dinner, and we went to the movie. And then when the movie was over with, this is the only time this has ever happened to me, and I don't, I'm not a movie buff. I don't go to a lot of movies, but this has never happened to me before. No one in the, in the, in the theater was packed. But when we walked out of there, nobody said a word. Like even going to our cars. We get out to the parking lot to our cars and we're like, it was the guy's name, his name was Mark. And I said, all right, Mark, we'll see you tomorrow at work. He goes, yeah, we'll see you. And we just got in our cars and went home. Because the mind was just so heavy and so intense because of those, the, the, the scenes that of, of Jesus' scourging and his crucifixion. It's so intense. He was marred beyond human semblance. Mark chapter 15, verse 15. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. Remember that? Hey, what about the king of the Jews of Barabbas? And they're all yelling, release Barabbas, right? Because that was a tradition. He would release one prisoner free. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Yeah, he scores him with the cat of nine tails, right? Yeah. Look at verse 15. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. How's this, this sprinkling? What's that about, sprinkling many nations? Well, you think about the high priest. On the Day of Atonement, what would he do? He would take the, the blood of the bull, and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And he would do that every year, year in and year out. But Jesus, he would sprinkle his blood, from his scourging and his crucifixion, he would sprinkle it once and for all, right? Peter wrote to the Jewish people living outside of Israel. He says to them in 1 Peter 1, verse 2, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. If you're taking notes, other references to Jesus' blood being sprinkled or poured out, it's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 and 14. Atonement is made by the sprinkling of blood once and for all. The Savior, his precious blood spilt so that sinners can be washed clean. Look at chapter 53, verse 1. The, the speaker now, so the first few verses there, God is speaking. And now the, the prophet Isaiah is speaking in chapter 53, verse 1. And, and notice his tone. It's kind of a, a, a sad, longing tone. Is anyone hearing and believing the message that I'm preaching? Who has believed what he has heard from us? Think about the gospel going forth. New peoples are hearing the gospel, and we, we give money, right? And we send missionaries to hard places so that the gospel can go forth and the people can hear and believe and be saved. And so that's happening all over the world, but it is slow progress. Why do, why do so many people reject the message of Christ? 
And, and think about in Isaiah's days, why are so many people rejecting God's Word? Why are so many rejecting this good news of a Messiah who will come to save his people? Well, I think Isaiah showed us here the world's perspective on Christ. The world rejects Christ because of his weaknesses they see in him. They reject Christ because of his origins, because of his appearance. He didn't look like a, a king. He didn't, and he didn't even defend himself. He didn't refute the false allegations. How could we embrace someone like this? Look at verse 2. So we see a few of these in the next few verses. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. Made me think of Luke chapter 2 where it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. And he was a normal-looking Jewish boy. And he grew up into a normal-looking Jewish man. His appearance was completely unimpressive. He looked like any other normal Jewish man. And the glory of Christ was visible only to believers who saw it in his sinless life, his compassionate demeanor, his miracles, and his preaching, his powerful words. Look at verse 3 and 4. The suffering servant was despised. He was rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Never in history of mankind has one been so underappreciated. This is the Messiah. This is their Messiah. And they treat him like a criminal. They put him to death on a cross. He died a criminal's death. You think about the people in his own hometown. You remember how they treated him? They wanted to throw him off their local cliff. You remember that? Luke chapter 4, verse 29. Look at verse 5 and 6. And he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Here Isaiah tells us why the suffering servant had to suffer. It's because of our sin. He was pierced, he was crushed, he was chastised. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ suffered once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. The iniquity is of us all is laid on Christ. Think about 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our sins were dealt with by his sufferings. He was punished for our sin. Look at verse 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. We're taken back to the Sanhedrin, remember? He's being falsely accused. Matthew chapter 26, verse 62, the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it these men testify against you? And Matthew says that Jesus remained silent. And then later he's brought before Pilate, and Pilate asked him, Do you hear how many things they testify against you? And Matthew says, He gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. And some people 
reject Christ. Oh, he didn't even refute the false allegations. No, he didn't. He didn't defend himself, but he humbly embraced the suffering that was central to his calling. Like a lamb led to slaughter, like a sheep led to the shearer. Paul, he refers to Jesus as the Passover lamb. John the Baptist, remember, pointed Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Like a lamb led to slaughter. He was put to death. Look at verse 8. The suffering servant was cut off from the land of the living. Makes me think of John chapter 19 when Jesus was on the cross and they went to break the legs. They broke the legs of the two criminals on his right and his left. They didn't break Jesus' legs. That fulfilled a prophecy in itself. Why didn't they, why didn't they break his legs? Because the centurion ran the spear in his side and out came water and blood, signifying he was already dead, right? Yeah, he died on that cross. Look at verse 9 through 11. The, the injustice here in the statement, though he had done no violence or deceit. It seems to be so unjust, unjust, but yet in the death of the innocent Jesus, God's justice is put on display. He was buried. He was put in a tomb of a rich man. What was his name, you remember? Kids, remember? Joseph of Arimathea, right? But look at verse 10. He was resurrected. After his eyes are closed in death, they will open in life. He will see again. His life will be prolonged. His life will be resurrected and prolonged into eternity. And by his death, he will justify many. Verse 12. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressor. Peter, chapter 1, verse 10 through 11, he tells of the ancient Hebrew prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. They searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Why did Jesus come to be born? Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world. He took on flesh, was born in Bethlehem to Mary and Joseph. He lived. He, he was born to be rejected, right? To die a cruel, lonely death and to rise from the dead so that death could be defeated. There's a song about, it, uh, about this. It's by a group named titled Go Fish. And our kids sang it years ago. And it's a great song. It's, uh, it's about the cross. And it's a, it's a Christmas song. And it, it, some of the lyrics here, it's not just about the manger where the baby lay. It's not about 
the angels who sang for him that day. It's not just about the shepherds or the bright and shining star. It's not all about the wise men who traveled from afar. No, it's about the cross. It's about my sin. It's about how Jesus came to be born once so that we could be born again. Some of you got it in your head, right? Yeah, it's a cool, if you, if you don't know, if you have kids and you don't know that, Go Fish, you can YouTube it on your way home, but it's a great song. Yeah, Lily Kate's like, yeah, we should have sang that. Well, I asked. We just couldn't fit it in, Lily Kate, next time. But Go Fish, yeah, it's a great song, a great song. It's not just about the presence underneath the tree. It's not about the feeling that the season brings to me, and it does bring those feelings, right? Yeah. It's not just about coming home to be with those you love. No, it's about the cross, right? And it says the beginning of the story is wonderful and great. And it's a, it's a sweet story, isn't it? About how God took on flesh and was born under humble circumstances. And I was reading, we were reading in uh, a Charles Spurgeon devotional, an Advent devotional, and it talked about how people won't approach Christ on the throne because it's intimidating. He said, but everybody can approach a baby in a manger. Yeah. The beginning of the story is wonderful and great, but it's the ending that can save you, and that's why we celebrate. Right? It's about the cross. It's about my sin, about how Jesus came to be born once so that we could be born again. It's about God's love nailed to a tree. It's about every drop of blood that flowed from him when it should have been me. Isn't that good? Yeah. So what do we do with this text? This is a, a text that is foretelling the story of Christmas. Why did Jesus come? Why was he born in Bethlehem under humble circumstances? Well, he, he came so he could live for us and so he could die for us. Us being sinners. So what do we do with this? Well, I go back to chapter 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. Behold the servant. So that's what we need to do. We need to behold the servant. Let's fix our gaze and eyes on the servant. Not just Jesus in the manger. But Jesus, the suffering servant who lived and died and rose and is exalted at the right hand of the Father. We need to do what the author of Hebrews tells us to do in chapter 12, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So this day, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Oh, it's so fitting for us to be at church on Christmas Day. And there's nothing wrong with all the things that's taking place this last month in preparation for this day. And it's exciting. And for some of us, for no other reason, that it just, it's a change in scenery. It, it gets us off our routine. We're around family and we're doing gifts and eating good food and all those things. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who was born to die. He was put in a cradle so he could go to the cross for sinners.
Did Jesus die for you? Did he die for you? I don't know. Have you embraced the Son? Have you embraced him as Savior and Lord? Have you ever come to a point where you said, Father, I'm a sinner and I deserve the cross. I deserve your worst. I deserve your wrath. Have you ever told the Lord that? Have you ever told the Lord, I deserve your worst, but you've given me your best in Jesus. Father, you sent Jesus to live for me. He lived the life that I couldn't live, and he died for me, the death that I should die. Have you ever told the Lord that? If you've never told the Lord that, and, and, and if, you, if you've ever submitted to the Lord and said, I'm a sinner, and, and, but, and you've never trusted the work that Christ has done on the cross, you can't say Jesus died for you. You need to be able to embrace that. I don't encourage you to do that today. If you've never cried out to the Lord, I'm a sinner, I deserve your wrath. Christ was born so that I could be forgiven. He paid my sin debt and suffered the wrath that I deserve. Father, save me, forgive me, help me live for you from this day forward. I want to encourage you to do that. If you've got a question about that, if you've never trusted Christ, you've never embraced the Savior, I'd love to talk to you about that.